Our scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. Listen for what God is saying to you this morning. My child, pay attention to my words. Bend your ear to my speech. Don't let them slip from your sight. Guard them in your mind. They are life to those who find them and healing for their entire body. More than anything, you guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. Have nothing to do with a corrupt mouth. Keep devious lips far from you. Focus your eyes straight ahead. Keep your gaze on what is in front of you. Watch your feet on the way, and all your paths will be secure. Don't deviate a bit to the right or to the left. Turn your feet away from evil. May God bless our understanding of this scripture. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Naomi Leapart, and I am from Detroit originally, um, but came here from central Pennsylvania, where I am a student at Lancaster Theological Seminary. And I'm so blessed to be back in uh, Pastor Emily's presence. I first met her here in Chicago a few years ago when I was still running from the call to ministry. Um, and she was directing a program called Taste of Seminary for those of us who wanted to dip our toe in and see where the seminary was something that we felt God was calling us to, to participate in. And so I'm so grateful that entering my last year of seminary, I'm able to come back to Chicago and reconnect with Emily and share in worship and ministry and proclamation with you this morning. So I'm grateful to be here. Um, I want to share some thoughts from this subject, worth more than small change, worth more than small change. Would you pray with me? Anointing fall on me anointing fall on me let the power of the holy ghost fall on me fall on me. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would fall afresh on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the sermon, I would like for you to join me in watching this little over eight-minute clip from the TV show The Wire. Now, I will preface the clip by saying that there is profanity in the clip. Um, it was hard to find a clip from The Wire for any length of time <laughs> that didn't have some profanity, but uh, we'll come back later and I'll explain to you why this clip. So stay tuned. So last summer, I watched all five seasons of The Wire in two weeks. <laughs> It was my first time, because apparently I was under a rock, 
the five seasons it was running live on HBO and the six years following that, um, but I got hooked. How many people were hooked to The Wire? Yeah. I'm obsessed really with how the show is so beautifully complex, how it's honest, how it's at once heartbreaking and hopeful, just like life. The Wire is a show, I think, about change, about the fear of change, the shame of change, the joy of change, the success of change, the failures of change. The Wire is a show about changing the drug game in Baltimore, changing politics in Baltimore, changing public schools in Baltimore. It's a brilliant discussion about how change happens in these public spaces. But I think the show is also about personal change. Here we have D'Angelo Barksdale. He's grown up in the family business of dope dealing and street corner management. He's been trained in it, paid through it, protected by it. The game is his work and the game is his life. And D'Angelo comes to realize that the family business over time has not only become his life and his work, but his whole self. And as we saw in the clip, he wants to get out of the business. We find him by season two of the show making plans to get out, to imagine something different, something new for himself. He's tired of the death, he's tired of the destruction, he's tired of being in denial, he is worn down by the ruthlessness of the game. He wants to become a new self. But he quickly comes to understand that this decision to change, to be different, to do differently, is not entirely his to make. He has to make this decision in consultation with his past, with his family, his mama, his uncle. He wrestles with himself. He argues with the voice in his head that tells him that all he can ever be is a Barksdale in the game. D'Angelo's story is my story. I would bet that it's your story too. Because we all have these reckoning moments, right? We all have these moments of clarity. We know the current situation ain't working. And we need a change to come quickly. But nobody can really initiate the change but us. A change is going to come, but not from without, from within. And the minute we decide to direct and rearrange and shift, here comes everybody. Here come the obstacles, here come doubt, here comes darkness, here comes grief, this invisible current that runs against the tide that could carry us to something else, something otherwise. We start to think that the change we want to make in our own lives isn't worth all the trouble. And so most people are born and die within one particular narrative. Born a Barksdale in the game, die a Barksdale in the game. We have one sense of self because it's too wobbly, it's too shaky, it's too dangerous to change, to be the change we want to see in the world. I want to reflect with you this morning about this overwhelming sense of loss that comes with change. 
And I want to suggest that having the courage to change, to shed old skin that suffocates us, that keeps us stuck, that no longer fits, actually helps us gain, not lose. Gain the reward of God's investment in us. I want to suggest that we are often unable to predict what change will bring. And so we overestimate, we underestimate the risk involved. So it's good to then rely on God to do the math. That God made an initial investment in us. God has assessed our worth at the moment of creation. And so the evolution we experience in order to reach the depth that God has for us, the love that God has for us, the grace that God has for us is worth the change. You know, what makes D'Angelo's story so tragic is that he he didn't really know his own worth. He didn't know that he could change, that transformation was possible for him. He didn't think he could do any better. He felt obligated to the status quo, but the status quo wasn't obligated to him. So D'Angelo needed to be predictable because being predictable was more lucrative than changing, than evolution. The family business had made some investments in him. They gave him a corner. They gave him a part of the business. And there was much at stake if he was going to suddenly change his mind about being in the business. His mother, his uncle, his peers decided, you can't change your mind about hustling. They weren't invested in his growth. They were invested in funding his silence. They paid for the cage he was in. They bankrolled his inability to move. They bankrolled his paralysis. And we live in a world that is invested, right, in subduing our change, our metamorphosis. We hate wishy-washy politicians. Don't change your mind on the issue. We hate last-minute changes to Sunday's bulletin. This was due on Wednesday. We're not singing another, another song. We, we pay money. Oh, I'm, I'm a church girl, I know. We pay money to keep things the same. We will pay to prevent the change, even if the change is for our good. We are invested deeply in sameness, in status quo. And I, I get that fear, because change feels like a loss. Change feels like some sort of breach in integrity. Wait a minute, I felt one way yesterday and I feel a new way today. Does that mean I have no integrity? I can't be inconsistent. Nobody likes a flaky person. Change is disruptive. Wait a minute, God, you want me to do what? I got to move where? No, no, no. Change feels like starting over again. And we all know you can't start over again. When we change, we have to give up old ideas. We have to abandon familiar habits, comfortable habits. We have to let go of regrettable decisions we've made. We have to expose the ways in which we've been fake. We have to submit to different priorities. We have to agree to lose control. When we change, we estrange ourselves from those who are actually negotiating their own identities based upon ours. D'Angelo's mother was vested in him being D'Angelo so that she could be D'Angelo's mama in the game. When we're faced with the possibility of change, we wonder, I know I wonder, do I really deserve this new thing? I mean, I've done some things. 
Maybe I should live a different way because I've done some things. What animates much of our anxiety and feelings of loss about change, I think, is a misunderstanding about how dangerous change really is. We've been handed this distorted view of change. Friday was my partner Cantina's birthday, she said earlier, and she lives here and I live in Pennsylvania. So we talked about how to celebrate, but we didn't really make any concrete plans. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? And so I'm trying to plan something special for her. Something other than like dinner and a movie and stuff. And so I wanted to figure out an activity we could do together. You know, doing activities together, bond you, you know, all that. So I, I saw on, the, on Groupon there was this rock climbing coupon. And I was like, oh, we could do that together? I mean, you know, just the thrill of that, right? We could go and get harnessed up and all that. And um, we didn't do that. But, um, <laughs> um, but when I told her that, oh, I, this was one of the ideas I had, we started talking about thrill-seeking. You know, how interested are you in thrill-seeking? And I sort of confessed that I'm curious about these risky, like life-risking activities, right? I want to push my body and my imagination to the limit. And I told her that for my 30th birthday a couple years ago, I wanted to go skydiving. I didn't, I didn't go. Um, <laughs> I couldn't, the only reason I didn't go was because I couldn't find somebody to go with me. I was like, you don't go skydiving by yourself. That's kind of sad. So I didn't go. Uh, but I, I am a dork through and through, and so I'm going to research to the T any opportunity like this. And so I researched skydiving, and I learned so much. Let me tell you what I learned. I learned that there are similarities in the process of skydiving and the process of changing oneself. I'm short. I know you couldn't tell. I'm short. I'm only four feet, 11 inches tall. I'm already low to the ground. And so I am mostly afraid of heights. Yes. And so skydiving then presents a challenge. How am I going to get in the plane and drop from thousands of feet? But what I learned about the fear of heights, acrophobia, is that much of that fear has to do with perception, right? So it, it has to do with how we see objects in relationship to each other. At 14,000 feet, when you jump out of a plane, the ground is so far away that it poses no threat of immediate danger. Like somehow we're able to say, oh, that's not, I can't even see, those look like ants. Like when you're in a plane and you're like, I know these are two-ton cars driving around that could kill me, but they weigh down there, they're, they're, they're little, I can't really. There's no immediate threat when I'm in the airplane. No immediate threat at 14,000 feet. You can't see closely enough what's on the ground to be able to assess whether or not it's dangerous. If you stood on the side of a highway and watched cars rush past you at 80 miles per hour, everything would seem really fast. You would feel the fear of maybe one of these cars veering off and hitting you. But if you stood on a mountain and looked at the highway from the mountain, there would be no fear, right? This is relativity and how it inspires you to be fearful or not. I think that part of the work we have to do to push through the sense of loss that we feel when it comes to change is to realize that the end of the journey is actually much farther away than we think it is. We are most anxious when we think a decision we make today is going to ricochet and hit us in the face tomorrow. But what if we instead understood change as stretched out over the distance of our lives? as 14,000 feet away. 
What if we saw change not as this slippery slope that avalanches us to some dreaded reality, some dreaded fall, but an intentional and gradual and breathtaking movement toward the place where we're going to land? Skydiving. The other thing I learned about skydiving is that it does not actually feel like a roller coaster. I mean, I was thinking, okay, you jump out of a plane. I mean, that's like the worst roller coaster ride ever, right? You're dropping in your stomach and all of that. I thought that that's what happens, but actually, there's no stomach drop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why is there no stomach drop? Because on a sky drive, skydive, you're actually not starting from a still place, right? You go up the crank up the hill on the roller coaster and you stop, right? And you drop from stillness. But you know, skydiving, you're on a moving plane. The plane is going 80 miles an hour or whatever it's going. And so you're moving and then you jump while in motion. It takes a few seconds to build up to terminal velocity, right? But you get there pretty quickly. You increase in speed slowly and steadily as opposed to going from stillness to dropping 14,000 feet. And so our lives are like that. We're constantly moving. We don't stop. We're constantly moving. We're flowing. We're rarely still. And so I think managing change is more like navigating the curves on the expressway. We're not starting from scratch. It's not like drag racing where you stop and go to 70 miles an hour. We take with us the wisdom that we've gained along the way, the knowledge that we've gained along the way, watching other people drive down the road. We learn from there travel. We breathe just like we always did. We stay on the route even as we make the curve. Some people who struggle with motion sickness while they're skydiving have said that, oh well I was up there and the parachute came open and I was twisting and turning and it was, I was scared and so I was jerking and jerking and jerking. And then I got queasy. You don't get queasy if you stay still as you fall. Huh. So when we resist change, when we're aggressive toward change, change wants to take us right, but we insist on going left. We get sick. We get queasy. We get nauseous. That resistance to change and aggression during the process of moving toward change can cause a sickness that actually wasn't there before. What if we allowed ourselves to just turn, to change our minds, change our hearts, change our ways of life without fighting it? What if we gave ourselves the time and grace to just adjust, to go in a different direction, not resisting, but embracing the change? All of this skydiving and change requires a risk, right? Requires us to have some courage. It's not easy. You have to dare, really, to skydive. You have to dare to change. It is really subversive. Everybody doesn't skydive. Not something people do. And change is hard. It's subversive. But maybe I want to suggest to you that the first step in changing is actually to rightly understand what change is, how it works, what it does. I think that change is about living a fortified life, but not a fixed life. Not immobile, not paralyzed, not stuck, 
but grounded. I think that change is about maybe not so much self-confidence, because we're not always confident, but it's about self-courage. Well, like, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to go. I'm not sure, but I'm going to go. I have courage, even if I don't have confidence. It's about being brave and not necessarily looking to be safe. Bravery over safety. It's about wondering instead of worrying. What if, what if this goes well, actually? What if, what if I need new ways of interpreting what's happening in my life? What if I'm curious as opposed to anxious? What if I discover something great as I change? What if wonderful things come to me when I change? It's also about valuing a degree of ambiguity, right, over absolutes. And I actually think it's more courageous to change than to not, right? It's more courageous to embrace the unknown than it is to be bound to a system of absolutes in your life. I've been watching Serena Williams. Have y'all been watching Serena? Serena has been dominating, as she always does. And somebody posted on Facebook a video of an interview that she did when she was 14 years old. Did y'all see this video? And the journalist is trying to get her to be like, why are you so confident? Because Serena's like, well, I'll just beat him, or whatever she said at, 15, at 14. <laughs> And the journalist is like, well, why do you think you can do that? And so the first time you're like, okay, journalist, I'm not sure. And so Serena's like, because I just, I think I can. I know. The journalist is like, but, but what makes you think? But how? And Serena's like, well, because I know. I will. And the journalist is like, but why? <laughs> and Serena's father comes from in the shadows, watching from backstage or wherever. And is like, wait a minute. Now, she told you why. Are you listening? She answered your question. Don't, she's a kid. Let her be a kid. Because what this journalist was trying to say is, you don't have the right to be so bold. You don't have the right to be so courageous. As I watched Serena's career develop over the years, she's maintained this courage. She's gotten more humble about whether or not, you know, she's not necessarily telling journalists because I can't. But she, she operates in courage. She is down often, well into the match. She's like working her way from behind. And she doesn't lose her composure about that. She simply makes adjustments. She simply decides, well, the way we're going is not the way we're going to win, so let's change. And that takes courage to end the face of people saying, oh, it's too late. You out. To say, well, I'll just make a correction. I'll just turn. Change actually puts you in the driver's seat because you're not bound to prescriptions. Once a Barksdale, always a Barksdale in the game. One of the things I do uh, in seminary is I'm an intern for the reentry organization in Lancaster where I live. And so I go to these uh, support group meetings for the returning citizens. Every Wednesday night they meet in the basement of a church to talk about how they were successful that week, right? I didn't go back in or I didn't go visit that friend who I know is gonna get me into trouble. And one of the things that the returning citizens consistently say is I actually had to think, go back to my younger self and tell my younger self some things. I had to tell my six-year-old self, none of what happened to you is your fault. I had to tell my 21-year-old self, no, you know you was wrong for that. Go apologize to your mother. 
There's this way that they're always trying to recover the memory of their former selves so that they can change based upon who they used to be. And I think that change is like that, that we're actually recovering the memory of who God says we are. God has in God's mind a perception of us, that you're worthy, that you're valuable, that you're worth loving and worth adoring and actually worth dying for. God has this memory of us. And change often is about going back to the memory that God has of us. Why am I engaged in this destructive behavior? Because I forgot that God actually finds me worthy, that God actually loves me so much, so as to give up everything for me. Recovered memory. The verse in Proverbs talked about keeping your mind stayed on the, at the path that God would have us be on. And I think that there's something there, that God is trying to consistently point us back to this memory that God has of us, to show us that we are worthy. And God is faithful in continuing to keep us turning, 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 so we can remember how worthy we are. D'Angelo Barksdale, time ran out for him. Time ran out for him. But the good news is that God is always beckoning us back to remember how worthy we are in God's sight. We're worthy of change. Change for the better. And free people, free people. So once we get free, once we change, the world around us has to change. Thanks be to God.